You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1028 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday evening into Friday. And today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game, it's the whole game. What 95 calories do with this carb, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Today's podcast will focus on what became a 123 to 112 loss for the Hawks in game five in Milwaukee. And uh, my apologies on the audio quality, by the way. I'm not in my normal setup. Um, due to some logistical challenges, but here we are, and hopefully it sounds decent enough. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. We'll get into all the ins and outs of this Game 5 loss. The Hawks now trailing 3-2 in the Eastern Conference Finals, and honestly, it came down in a lot of ways to what was a brutal start for Atlanta. They never led in the entire game because they got blitzed out of the gate, and offensively, it was pretty decent overall, but that Ugly start on both ends of the floor really led to a scramble situation the rest of the game, and the Hawks just never got over the top despite some relatively impressive runs in the second half. So, as always, we'll dive into everything from the game, game flow, nuts and bolts, observations, takeaways, analysis, etc. And thank you, as always, for joining me. Pre-game, uh, the big story was the injury. So, no Giannis, no Trey in this game. Giannis was doubtful. It was ruled out pretty early in the day. The Bucks actually started Bobby Portis, which actually worked out for them, but I was surprised by that. They went pretty big in this game. Trey was ruled out later in the day. Um, there was some reporting um, that he was not going to be able to go, and then McMillan talked about him saying he was a little bit better, a little bit healthier, feeling a little bit better than he was on Tuesday, but wasn't quite comfortable enough to get there. No setbacks or anything. They're hoping for game six, but uh, he actually said after the game, McMillan did, that he thinks Trey Young will be a game time decision once again for game six, so... I don't know what to make of that, but there you go. And I will say what I said yesterday on the podcast. Um, I firmly believe that Trey Young would play if he was able to play. And that's kind of where I'll leave it for now. But people were sort of asking, I guess, frustratedly because they lost this game about Trey not playing. And Trey is very resilient, very tough. And I would imagine he'd be out there if he was able to be out there. So we'll see if he can play on Saturday. But there you go. Um, the Hawks were four-point underdogs at tip-off as a result of Trey not playing, even with Giannis out. Being that the game was in Milwaukee, the Hawks entered this game as an underdog. They didn't cover, etc. At the outset, this is kind of the story of the game in a lot of ways. So, a 10-2 run by the Bucks before the first timeout. Drew Holiday had the first seven points, or seven of the first nine points for Milwaukee. I kind of expected an early run from the Bucks, and they definitely delivered it here. And the challenge there was to respond if you're the Hawks, but it took, it took them just too long to do that. So, Milwaukee pushed up to 22-7 by the next timeout. They, had, they actually just... Their offense was just ridiculous in the early going. Uh, Brooke Lopez keying that, and I would just say he's a bigger factor with Trey not on the floor because Trey can make him pay offensively in a way that nobody else can for Brooke's lack of mobility. He's a huge man, and he was just very, very good in this game. But 14 of the first 22 points in the paint for the Bucks, And conversely, the Hawks were 2 of 11 from the floor at that point, down 22 to 7, including an 0-8 start, oh, sorry, 0-4-8 start from Kevin Herter and John Collins. The Bucks scored 22 points on their first 10 possessions, and they rebounded all five of their misses. So essentially, they scored on 10 straight plus five offensive rebounds, and all all told, Milwaukee scored on their first 13 offensive possessions of the game. That is impossible in terms of how good that efficiency is, how poor it is defensively, and as a result, the Hawks trailed by 20 in a relative hurry. Um, they went to 
after timeout, McMillan, I think, frustratedly took out his entire front court. Based on that, they went with Reddish, Gallinari, and Kongwu instead of uh, the uh, Herder, Collins, and Capella group. And they were just looking for answers. But honestly, I thought the bigger issue, really the whole game, but especially in the first half, was the point of attack defense. Um, you know, the, 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 back, the back line guys were not, like, ex- I would say excelling in this game. But there was a lot of, uh, you know, attention paid because of the points of the paint numbers to to Collins and Capella and Kongwu, but I think the biggest problem was that Milwaukee would break down the defense on the perimeter, they'd have to collapse, and that was kind of what was uh, starting all of that from happening. So when the Hawks were down 20, they were 3 of 19 from the floor, and everything was going the, going the wrong way. Now, the name of the game at that point is just to sort of triage and keep yourself in the game, and the Hawks, to their credit, did that. They scored 7 points in a row late in the first quarter, getting it down to 13 after a nice follow dunk by Kongwu, and a three-point play by Cam Reddish, who played well again in this game. The Hawks were down by 14 at the end of the first quarter, and it probably should have been more than that. The Hawks gave up 28 points in the paint in the first period, which is a crazy high number. But Milwaukee was missing their threes, and that was uh, very helpful. But the Hawks did not shoot well in the first quarter, which would come back to bite them later on because they got hot after that. But turnovers were a problem as well and all kinds of issues. To be down 14, again, it's kind of a crazy sentence to say that they should have been down more, but they, they, should, they should have been down more at the end of the first quarter. That's how, that's how bad the first quarter went for Atlanta. Before we get to the second, second quarter and more today on the road to the finals, NBA Playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. 95 calories, triple six carbs. We can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So the second quarter is when things began to flip in Atlanta's direction on some level. Uh, and spoiler alert here, the Hawks actually won the last three quarters of this game. Uh, I'm not sure that really matters in the grand scheme of things, but they were down 14 in the end of the first and lost by 11. So that tells you that things stabilized quite a bit. Um, first thing, Budenholzer went to Jeff Teague, which, as we saw in Game 1, is not really tenable in this series. Now, Glenn Willis and I talked about this yesterday. They have to play somebody because of Giannis not being there, but Teague was not effective. And then Thanasis Antetokounmpo, Giannis' brother, committed three fouls in about two minutes when he tried to play in the second quarter. I thought Cam was very good in his first stint. Had a pick six for a dunk. Had a uh, nice pass to Capella as well in that run. And then Madonovich found his shot. Um, get, get, got it going a little bit there. He, he had a three, cut down to 15. The Hawks, though, were having some ball security issues, and it was basically just Bogdanovich and Gallinari's free throw shooting. Gallo had seven free throw attempts and made all seven in the first, like, quarter and a half. But the Bucks had 36 points in the paint, and that was kind of just killing them. The Hawks sort of steadily cut into the lead. Collins had a three, uh, got down to single digits at the end of the first uh, half. I guess about three minutes to go, got it down to nine, and they went to this no-point guard look with Hunter Bogdanovich and Reddish together. That was relatively effective. Kind of a strange ending to the half. Um, the Hawks got it to eight briefly with Kevin Herter three, and then Milwaukee responded with back-to-back threes after they were two of 14 and made their next two. But then the Hawks impressively scored five points in the final, like 30 seconds, including a Collins three to cut it down to nine. So same theme as the first half, as the first quarter. The Hawks being down nine at the half felt like this huge win, and I felt like they were really alive in this game at that point in time. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for them, it kind of never got closer than that for the most part. But the Hawks did shoot well in the second quarter. That was the best offensive performance of the entire game, I thought, in terms of the uh, competitive portion. You know, the Hawks did make a lot of shots in the fourth. But in terms of the back-and-forth regular game flow, they were good on offense in the second quarter. Uh, but the first half, the Hawks scored plenty. They just did not get enough stops. Um, Milwaukee had about 130 offensive rating before the end of the, of the first half, which is hard to do when you're 4 of 17 from 3, as they were. But they were grabbing 40% of their own misses on the offensive glass. That's an astronomical number. And they had 44 points in the paint in the half. And that is a crazy high you know, baseline for anyone that doesn't know this. But 
you know, the best teams in the league score like 50 points of the, <laughs> points of the paper game, and they had 44 in the first half, which is a uh, just, again, crazy. It's hard to overcome that, even with 22 combined from Bogdanovich and Gallinari in the first half. All right, before we get to the, to the second half and all that transpired from there and some breakdowns, takeaways as we look towards Game 6, it were from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the easiest and the fastest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is definitely here and in full swing. You can track all the action at BetOnline.ag. Plus, in addition to baseball, the NBA playoffs are here as you're listening to all the time on this podcast. And uh, beyond that, all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. Of course, you have MLB and NBA, and you have NHL, UFC, MMA, golf, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, entertainment bets, all that you can think of. It's all there at BetOnline.ag. Before the next pitch or dribble, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop and mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information that you can find all in one place. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game and get in on the action. Head to the website now or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag. That's a 50% welcome bonus if you use the promo code Locked On. The promo code, one more time, is Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus with the site on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll get the second half now, and the second half was better than the first half, that is for sure. For Atlanta, the Hawks actually started out with a quick three from Bogdanovich to cut it from nine down to six, and that was the closest they got the rest of the game, down six there early in the third. That was Bogey's fourth three of the game, but then Milwaukee went on one of their couple runs in the second half, a 12-4 push to turn the lead from 6 up to 14 for the Hawks, putting them in a bad spot there. Lou was struggling mightily before that, but actually found his offense in the second half, which was good to see. They're going to need that, obviously, desperately in Game 6 if Trey cannot go, but he was not himself in the first half, much better after that. Um, There's a pretty long review, actually, in the third quarter. Bogdanovich got called for a foul in the corner on Chris Middleton on a 3 but it was, it was definitely a foul. Now, from there, he got he got, actually got called for a flagrant one, which people were very, very mad about, and I totally understand it. Uh, basically, it goes back to the Zadma Pachulia rule, where you, you kind of have to give guys room to land. I thought this was a situation where it wasn't really one that I would have even reviewed. You know, letter of the law, you can argue that maybe it does qualify, and they ended up calling that on him. But even in real time, it didn't seem like a crazy, you know, volatile act. And uh, I will credit this to Kevin Chenard, um, Fox.com pointed this out, but Bogey never left the arc. He never crossed the three-point line, and Middleton took a three and then landed forward enough to land on Bogdanovich. Like he slid under him a little bit, but that was a weird call. Um, sort of in a ball-to-life situation, the Bucks only scored three points on the possession because they only they got some, actually got five, five free-throw attempts, so the first three from Middleton, and after they got the ball back, they got fouled again, but they only went three for five, so it didn't like bite the Hawks, but that was a weird play in a lot of ways. It was teetering, I thought, for the Hawks later in the third quarter. They were down by 15 or so, but then Lou and Gallo scored in back-to-back trips. And that was kind of honestly what happened for the last quarter and a half of this game is that the Hawks just kept getting it down from like you know 17 down to 10 or 18 down to 11 or 15 down to 12. Whatever it was going to be, they kind of kept hanging in that range and just couldn't get it over the top. So there was a big swing actually towards Atlanta that I wanted to make sure I highlighted late in the third quarter. Lopez had a pretty easy layup on offensive rebound that he ended up missing that would have put the Bucks up by 16 points. And then like 10 seconds later, Herter hit a three to go back down, have the Hawks only down 11. So a five-point swing there, that was a big one because after a timeout, the Hawks scored again with a Kongwu, and it was a nine-point game again. Uh, they didn't fully capitalize on that, unfortunately, but I thought that was actually kind of a pivotal moment to keep things interesting. But the Hawks down 13 at the end of the third quarter. 
The Bucks shot pretty badly in the third, actually, but had 12 free throw attempts. That was their one big free throw bonanza of the game. And uh, the Hawks just couldn't kind of overcome that and make their big run despite um, because because they only scored 22 points in their own right. That was their one offensive sort of hiccup in the second half. Um, in the fourth quarter, uh, things were basically the same as they were in the third. Uh, Milwaukee had their big run at the outset. They scored the first five points to go up by 18. That was their largest lead of the second half at that point in time. The Hawks went back to the starters with about nine minutes to go, down by 17 points. And they did a pretty good job scoring. They, they kept scoring consistently in the fourth quarter. They cut it down to 14 or 15, and the Bucks would just answer again. It was 15 for about two minutes when neither tip could score that one time in the middle of the fourth quarter, but then Milwaukee finally scored on offensive rebound to go up by 17 with 5.15 to go. They got to 13 after a layup by Bogey with four minutes to go, but then Portis hit a three, which I think was the probable dagger. If you had to pick one shot in the fourth quarter that was probably the dagger, that was it, to put it back from 13 up to 16 with about three, you know, three and a half, four minutes to go. And then the Hawks did make it interesting. Bogey had a four-point play in the final three minutes, um, Gallo hit a three, and then Bogey hit another three, but because the Bucks kept scoring, that only got it to 10, and with like that was with like two minutes or less to go. So it was kind of over at that point in time, on the way to the 11-point margin, they ended up emptying the benches at the end of the game, and that was kind of the end of that. But, you know, overall, the Hawks did their job offensively in the fourth quarter. They scored 34 points, they made a bunch of threes, uh, they were effective in, in sort of doing the, the comeback stuff that you have to do, they just could not string stops together. I said that a lot already on the podcast. I'll probably say it even more in this game uh, later on the podcast. But it, that was kind of the theme of the entire night was that the Hawks had this really awful offensive stretch in the first quarter. And from that point forward, they were good on offense. It was that the defense just could not figure it out, both in the paint. And then Milwaukee finally made a couple of jump shots. They weren't great as a jump shooting team in this game. But um, that was the theme. And that's kind of surprising because, as we discussed at length on this podcast, the Hawks were awesome defensively in Game 4, and without Giannis, you know, Milwaukee should be a little bit worse offensively. But the execution was just not as good in this game, particularly on the perimeter, and Milwaukee did shoot it a little bit better on the around the rim and in their mid-range game, but it was mostly the Hawks just not performing well defensively, which we'll get into more in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors on this podcast, and the first of which is Built Bar. Built Bar is wonderful, as I always say on the podcast, but what is your favorite Built Bar flavor? Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavor? And when you talk about Built Bar, it's always a passionate thing for people that really enjoy their own flavors. And if you don't know the flavors, you're really missing out. It's coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, and many more. There's something for everyone, and my favorite flavor right now, anyway, I have many favorites, to be honest with you, but right now, I'm really loving the peanut butter brownie. That's just one that I'm really enjoying. I like to dive into that as much as possible. I always uh, talk about how much I enjoy Built Bar, and that is the one that I am diving into at this moment in time. If you haven't tried the flavors, though, get a mixed box right now when you get two of each of the nine available flavors at this moment in time. And not only are the Built Bar flavors fantastic, they're also very healthy. Most flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, only 4 grams of net carbs, and a couple others have even more protein if you enjoy that kind of thing. Order today, get that raspberry, mint brownie, or whatever you would like, and if you do it in the near future, you go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your first order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, and some takeaways from the game and how it transpired here. And as I alluded to before the break, defense was the problem in this game. Uh, the Bucks ended up scoring a little bit worse in the second half, but still almost 1.3 points per possession in the game. And it's just hard to win, particularly on the road, when you give up that much, you know, without Trey to captain the offense. You know, the offense was, again, pretty good, which we'll get into in a second, but the defense was just pretty bad the entire way 
Um, 66 points allowed in the paint in this game. It wasn't so bad after the first quarter and a half, but still pretty glaring. Milwaukee had more makes at the rim, 23 shots in the restricted area that they made in this game, than the Hawks had attempts. They only had 16 attempts, so that's a bad recipe. Obviously, Milwaukee's a little bit better around the rim than the Hawks are overall, but that is a glaring number. Milwaukee also dominated the offensive glass again. They had 19 second chance points. It was a little bit better in the second half, as it was, um, same thing was the, with the offense, but they still grabbed a ton of offensive rebounds in this game. That's a problem uh, as the series goes on. It has been the entire series. The Bucks have just been killing the Hawks on the offensive glass the entire way, which is a problem the Hawks haven't really faced a ton of this year. They play bigger than most teams. Capella and Collins do a good job on the glass, and Kongwu too, but they, they just don't have it in the series on the glass for whatever reason. Milwaukee has bludgeoned them there. And then the Bucks also just didn't shoot great from three again. Now, part of that is that maybe just Milwaukee's not shooting the ball well because they don't have that many shooters. But they have a couple guys that can shoot it, and Milwaukee was a top five three-point shooting team in the league during the regular season, and they just can't make threes. They're 31%. Um, I think the Hawks were decent defensively, closing out on threes in this game, but still, they've been a little bit fortunate there, less fortunate in other places for sure, but kind of a weird formula there overall. The Hawks only forced nine turnovers. That's not, that's not enough, probably. They're not a huge habit creation team, but probably needed a little bit more than that. And honestly, the point of attack defense was the problem all night long. We, we'll spend some time talking about Capella and Collins and the Kongwu. There is some blame to go around, for sure, on the way that they were defending Lopez and the first half struggles. But I thought the bigger issue of the two was point of attack, whether it be Herter, Bidanovich, Lou, even Chris Dunn was getting blown by at times, which is kind of strange to see for a guy who is a defensive expert. But they just were not good enough on the perimeter. And uh, that, that sort of trickled down to the rest of the team defensively. Um, offensively, it was not the problem. I'll say that. The Hawks scored well over 1.1 points per possession in this game. They weren't elite offensively, but they were more than good enough on the road, particularly without Trey. If you get, if you told me coming into the night that the Hawks would do what they did on offense in this game, I would have told you that's, that's a pretty darn good result when you factor in Trey not being there. It was just that they couldn't overcome the defense. And it, they obviously had a pretty brutal first quarter as well. So the Hawks <laughs> were 6-22 from the floor in the first quarter even with them making their last three shots. So we'll be a little bit generous here, but we'll go, we'll go with the full quarter numbers. But they were actually three of 19. From the rest of the game, they shot 31% from the floor and 45% from three. So like the shooting was plenty fine. I mean, even for the full game, the Hawks had a true shooting percentage of 57%. Like that is totally fine. That's above average. They just could not overcome everything else. They didn't get too much at the rim. Um, that was kind of the one hiccup. Turnover-wise, it wasn't great either. 14 is not a disastrous number, but not one that you're in love with for a team that's pretty good at ball security. Um, offensive glass was actually pretty decent for the Hawks in this game. It just was the first quarter. Offensively, everything else was really fine. And again, broadly speaking, they did more than enough. You know, They did not have an offensive problem in this game, as you might have pictured if you watched the first quarter and kind of turned the game off of frustration. They scored a lot in this game. They, they scored pretty efficient, I would say efficiently. It just wasn't quite enough. They won the last three quarters of this game by two points. They lost the second half by two, but you know, was, it was very, very competitive, and the story of the night was those first few minutes of the game. Um, so we'll dive into the individual stuff now. Um, we'll sort of get in and out here. The Hawks ended up playing a nine-man rotation, but it was really almost like an eight and a half in a lot of ways. Um, the guys who played at the very, very end, Nathan Knight, Bruno Fernando, Solomon Hill, Skylar Mays, no Tony Snell in this game, although Solo played, I think, seven seconds in the first half in the Mario West defensive assignment, but for the most part, it was nine guys. Chris Dunn was the ninth. He played eight minutes, and people, I was criticizing this, people sort of pointed out that he was plus six. If you watch this, Chris Dunn was not good in this game. Uh, defensively, he still has his moments, but even then, he wasn't great by his standards, for sure. He had a steal, but 
Offensively, he was, again, kind of unplayably bad. And this is someone I like. I like Chris Dunn. I, I'm very pro Chris Dunn. I was happy they signed him. I recommend that before they even signed him. But Chris Dunn is not particularly playable right now, in my mind, because of his offensive limitations. He has to be so good defensively, and in this game, he wasn't. Um, so if I had a nitpick rotationally, it might have been just playing him not at all, probably. Um, there aren't great. There are not great options. So that's that's sort of the counterpoint is that who, who are you going to play? But he was not particularly good in this game. Um, Akongwu wasn't as good as he was the other night, but still was fine. Six points, six rebounds. He was active. He was effective. Um, two or three uh, from the floor. I thought he was okay. Um, you know, he's not. He was not great against Lopez in this game by any means, but nobody was, and I thought that he was at least competitive out there. And the bench was overall a positive despite some noise. Um, Reddish was not, again, not, not as good as he was the other night either, but he was also, again, I thought very good. Seven points, two steals, a block, two assists, four rebounds, a couple nice drives at the rim, over one on threes, but if anything, I wanted to see more of him in the second half. I'm not sure what his restriction is, and I'm sure he has, I, mean, I know he has one. McMillan will not say what that number is, at least if he hasn't that I've seen, but um, Reddish quite clearly is helping them right now. You know, it's still a bit of a question mark after all this time, but he they were better with him on the floor in this game. And defensively, he changes the math a lot for the Hawks on Middleton in particular. So uh, I don't know how much he can play, but right now, particularly without Trey, they need the minutes that he's giving them in a big way. And uh, if anything, even more would be acceptable for sure. Uh, Gallinari had a nice game offensively. Defensively, not so much. But 19 points in 23 minutes, you could say that's enough to over to overcome his defense. So him and him and Bogdanovich, particularly in the first half, were the only bright spots offensively. And good to see Gallo having it going. His post-ups on content are very effective. Got to the line for seven attempts, and I thought he was all right in this game. Uh, good on offense for sure, and then you know bad bad on defense, but not you know cripplingly so, at least by his individual standards. Um, to the starters, Kevin Herter had a bad night. Uh, Herter's been awesome in the playoffs, but he was not good in this game. Eight points. Did have seven assists to lead the team, but um, I thought offensively he was kind of a ball stopper at times. Um, kind of weirdly slow processing stuff from Herter and also three or twelve from the floor. So it wasn't like he was just terrible. In fact, he had two steals and a block defensively as well. He's still been very active there, but I don't think he was as good as he's been in the playoffs so far. And, uh, you know, they're going to need more from him, particularly if Trey doesn't play in game six. They're going to have to have him play better than he was in this game. Uh, Capella had a weird night as well. 21, 21 minutes for Clint. And no foul trouble. So that's about as little as he's played without foul trouble in a long, long time. Um, and again, I don't think I would attribute the issues in the first half to Capella. I don't think he was great. But if you watch that film back, like he's not really the issue most of the time around the rim. I know he's going to get tagged with the performance that Lopez had. But it really wasn't on him, at least individually, I don't think, a ton. He wasn't great either. Don't, don't get me wrong. But he had three blocks. He had eight, re- eight rebounds. I thought he, I thought he played fine. I probably should have played a little bit more. But they went offense, and I sort of I, I sort of get that. But Akangwu played almost as much as Capella did. They ended up playing some small ball as they were trying to come back in the second half. Um, Collins a weird night as well. Uh, I thought he was pretty bad in the first half and definitely improved from there. Did have 19 and eight um, and three assists, but three fouls, seven sixteen, seven sixteen from the floor. He was a bigger part of the offense. I thought he had some ugly post ups in the first half that. Probably should have been decent matchups, but you don't want him posting up Tucker, for instance. If it's Connaughton, if it's Forbes, sure. But Drew Holiday, even, I wouldn't want that necessarily as a matchup. And I thought Collins was okay as the game went along, but not his best in this game. It's kind of odd because, you know, I thought in game four, he was better than the box score. In this game, I think he probably was a little bit worse than the box score. But he was still, you know, generally okay, just not his best. Um, Lou, kind of a tale of two halves. 
17 points, 5 assists, that's totally fine for him, but at 6 turnovers, and I thought he was not very good in the first half at all. Um, defensively as well, he was a problem. He's always not great, but he, I thought, was even more of a problem than usual in that first half. So circle that one. They needed more from him in this game. But, you know, realistically, you can't expect Lou to have 25 every night while Trey's out. I mean, it's just not what you can bank on. He was okay in offense in this game other than the turnovers, but defensively, it's, uh, it was a, a, I would say it was, it was a bit glaring at times. And then Bogey was a bright spot for sure. 28 points um, to leave the team comfortably. Hit seven threes. He was seven of 16 from three. Three of six and twos is better than he was the other night. So he had six threes in game four, seven threes in game five. So all of the shooting struggles that he's had for you know a couple of weeks before this seem to be gone at this point. Had four assists as well. He was, uh, I thought he was genuinely good offensively. Now defensively, he was probably his worst since he, at least in the last couple of games, since his knee started, since he started moving better, I'll say. Um, he was not particularly effective defensively in this game. Not that anybody was, but uh, if you want to give him a demerit, that's probably the one. But offensively, you can't really ask for more than 28 points and seven threes. He got 16 attempts. That's a ton of threes. And most of them are good, most of them are good looks, too. He's capable of making those. So not too fluky. And uh, they need a lot of that, uh, again, very obviously. But if, if Trey's unable to play in game six, they're going to need some offense. And Bogey's been very good offensively the last two games. So after all of that, the Hawks now trail. 3-2 in the series. McMillan was uh, upbeat, but also, you know, matter of fact in saying how poorly they played defensively in this game, and he's absolutely right about that. Um, they got to be better in game six. You know, it's too early. It's Thursday night. We, we don't know anything about Trey at this point. He said game time, uh, Nate said game time decision um, after the game tonight, which is sort of his MO, but we just won't get a lot of information until closer to game time on Saturday. So who knows? But, you know, same with Giannis. I, I guess Giannis could conceivably play. He was doubtful in this game as well. So we will see there. But broadly speaking, no matter what combination of players, the Hawks have to win or they go home on, uh, on Saturday. And defensively, they just got to be better. I mean, offensively, they did more than enough in this game. And, you know, you, know, it's not, you can't really blame the absence of Trey for this loss. I mean, obviously, it would have helped to have Trey Young. Don't get me wrong. He's their best player. But if you look at the way this game transpired, the stuff that Trey does offensively wasn't really the problem. Like, maybe, maybe they would have had a better chance to win a shootout against Milwaukee. But it was just they could not stop him. In this game, so but they have more success, obviously, in their home building in Game Four. Coming back home, I'm sure it'll be an absolute madhouse at State Farm on Saturday. So that helps. That helps a little bit as well. The betting market was opening, sort of as a coin flip. I saw uh, as we started recording this, so we'll see what happens there. But uh, a long way to go between now and then. I don't think I'm gonna have a podcast between game between Game Five and um, sorry between Game Five and Game Six. But uh, we'll have plenty of coverage after the game. Follow me on Twitter if you'd like for uh, some, some more live uh, live tweets and updates in between games at BT Roland. Follow the show at Locked On Hawks. If anything crazy happens, maybe we'll pop in for a quick recording. But if nothing else, please subscribe to the show, and we'll be back again after the game on Saturday night.